0: Welcome, welcome everybody. We have a chance to wrap up the week with speaking to somebody whose favorite uh, channel on the satellite radio is the favorite channel of mine. And I already, that that was a reason enough to invite uh, Victoria Gordon onto the show. The channel that we're referring to is Broadway, uh, Broadway station on uh, satellite radio or XM, you know, whatever it is that you're listening to. So welcome, Victoria. It's it's I can't think of, of a better way to end the week than to talk about music and musicals and Broadway. And you're encompassing all of those things. So welcome, welcome.
1: Thanks. I'm glad to meet a fellow Broadway fan.
0: Oh, my God. I didn't grow up to be a Broadway fan because I came to the United States at the age of 14 from Ukraine and there was no Broadway. But the way that I kind of my Americanization process was you know, come home from school and watch TV. And it was DuckTales. It was um, the Cubs uh, on uh, on Channel 9. I'm in Chicago. So that and then it was the old, uh, old shows, old musicals. And I fell completely head over heels with uh, Singing in the Rain and, uh, you know, all of those old kind of the Hollywood types of musicals, which is what I wanted to be a part of. But then everything kind of started building on that. But my Americanization process was musicals and they're still my happy place. My daughter, who's who's a musical uh, musical theater kid as well. She's 16. uh, She knows that anytime daddy is, uh, you know, uh, ticked off or needs uh, needs time to relax, just turn on the musical and give me 15 minutes and then I'll get back to feeling me. That's that's my way of getting back home.
1: I love that. And you know what's so funny is you've immediately brought up things that I'm already like totally ready to talk about. My sister and her boyfriend would be totally into this. He is, we're all baseball fans, um, but we're Dodger fans in my family because my grandfather grew up in Brooklyn and the Dodgers followed him to LA, but her boyfriend is a massive Cubs fan and he'll only cheer for the Cubs over the Dodgers if they're playing each other, but he's a huge Cubs fan. And then Natalie, my sister, is the movie musical fan. So... You are hitting all the topics that are like on my, you know, usual rotation.
0: Perfect. And uh, I had a chance to take my kids uh, when we went to LA. I love, you know, LA. Obviously, being being an actor, I want to, you know, do anything LA that I can get my hands on. So we went to LA uh, in 2019, and uh, absolutely, we went to a doctor's game. And oh. we went to a Dodgers game. We sat in the bleachers, and I wanted kind of my my son to experience that. It was really, really, really.
1: Dodger games are so much fun, you know? I don't know how to explain it, but there's something about being in Dodger Stadium that having never been to a game anywhere else, I can't speak to it, but there's something really special about Dodger fans and the way Dodger fans enjoy their games and what we do at Dodger Stadium, so I'm a proud fan.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's a great team. Uh, There's uh, actually quite a bit of connection between the Cubs and the Dodgers uh, in terms of the uniforms, in terms of the people that uh, kind of went to work for the Dodgers, being a part of the Cubs, so, and we just got, you know, uh, Jacques Peterson. So uh, he's coming over. I don't know what's happening with my dog. I don't know if you could hear him barking his, uh, his uh, doggy guts out, but there's somebody outside that uh, that he's trying to make friends with apparently. Anyway. Trust okay, me,
1: I have oh. one too.
0: Same deal. Yeah, perfect. Well, or that, or he's just very excited about us talking about the musicals. So <laughs> it could, could be that. And I actually, not to put you on the spot, because you know, being a person who loves musicals, anytime I get asked that question, I I don't like it because then I have to take one over another. But is there a favorite musical of yours that you can identify?
1: I always name my top three because they're all kind of equal. Into the Woods, yeah. Sunny in yeah. the Park with George, and Gypsy.
0: Cool. Okay. Um, very good choices. Yeah. For, uh, for me, it would be, and now my brain is going mush. But for me, it would be producers.
1: Oh, good.
0: Um, and then it would be um, uh, something's rotten.
1: Oh, I love that show.
0: And uh, the third one, probably Fiddler on the Roof, because it just has such a such a connection. And to you as well, you know, reading about uh, your genealogy project and you just found something out. So we'll we'll touch up on that in a second. But those are my my kind of three. I think it may change. Uh, it it varies, but usually those are the three. Yeah. I love it. Very cool. Okay. So uh, since I brought up genealogy, you 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 did your tree when you were 13 years old and continued building from there. Uh, I did a little bit of mine, but again, a lot of my stuff is is back in in the old country. Uh, so there's not a top uh, a lot of stuff to find. But you were able to uh, to locate quite a few people, right?
1: Yeah, well, I'm actually somewhat Ukrainian as well. And I've recently been in touch with a cousin of mine who is based in Ukraine and he's been helpful. So that's, I didn't know about him, but he found me and we Mm -hmm. were were like a DNA match. And then Mm -hmm. we started talking about last names and we figured out how we were connected. So he is really helpful. I'm, I think about three sixteenths Ukrainian, which sounds small but is actually, that means it's three great, great grandparents and um. Mm my family my mom's mom's family came from there so mm. that's always been part of my culture as well but i also have um i've learned a lot for example i didn't know this but my grandfather was spanish his um, mother was spanish and so i've been learning about my spanish roots and for me that's been really empowering actually because my grandfather grew up in a time in a place where he really couldn't be very open about his culture He lived in a Spanish neighborhood and he spoke Spanish at home, but everyone was trying to push him to be American and being American meant not being Spanish. So he made his children learn to speak Spanish and he spoke Spanish and he tried to keep up his own traditions, but he really also tried to let that sort of sit in the background to be an American. Mm -hmm. And discovering his life now and his mother's life because she was the Spaniard and realizing that she had to suppress so much of her culture to Mm -hmm. fit in. I want to, reclaim that and really explore it. So that's something my family's been very passionate about lately is really exploring that part of our heritage. I mean, I've learned so much. I've learned about so many people. And what I always say is they all have their own stories. They're real people. Like they all lived life and they did things and they experienced things and we shouldn't let that be forgotten.
0: No, absolutely not. And I find this, it's so interesting that, you know, fast forward a number of decades and now Spanish is the second language in the United States. So uh, oh, yeah. there that, that would not have to be any suppression. I think it would just be something that's very comfortable and convenient if uh, if it was happening now. Um, yeah, so on, on your babble now, you're learning Ukrainian and Spanish or?
1: Well, you know, the Ukrainian side of my family really didn't speak Ukrainian. I'm Jewish, they spoke Yiddish. And yes. um, so when I find old notes in Yiddish, that's where I'm like, I wish I knew Yiddish. But um, yeah, and the Spanish has been kind of interesting. I speak fluent French, so it hasn't been such a big jump. It's been, oh, you pronounce things differently, and the words have a slightly different look, but it, it all kind of looks the same in the long run. So that's been helpful there.
0: Yeah, I, I remember when uh, you know my wife and I went to Paris, and I could read most of the signs and understand them, because between knowing a tiny little bit of French, and just, again, being growing up in the former Soviet Union, French uh, culture was uh, kind of permeated through, and then knowing uh, some Spanish, I could read and understand a lot of the signs, which was cool too. So yeah, right. I,
1: I get that.
0: Um, the Yiddish, yeah, the Yiddish part definitely makes sense. My parents didn't speak Yiddish. They knew some words because they heard it from their parents growing up. But yeah, it was never part of the household except for you know, a few words that you and I both know. So um, that was always to me, so klezmer music, right? Listening to klezmer bands, there is that, there's that part of the heart that just wants to listen to it, and uh, it's that it's that thing, right? I, I'm not Jewish in terms of being very religious, but I'm definitely Jewish in terms of heritage, and yeah. that will always stay. So I, I completely understand that. I there were times in my life where I wanted to learn uh, Yiddish. Uh, there is even a couple of classes that they had in Chicago that I started signing up for, but you know it never materialized. So I. That would be on my double list as well. Oh
1: yeah, yeah,
0: very cool. Um, music, right? You grew up in a music environment. Basically, your whole family is uh, is in music, from right. conductors to performers. Um, knowing, in my personal uh, perspective of kind of the life and the universe and how everything works we come to a specific you know family for a reason you know as the soul decides what it chooses to do so it's it's pretty apparent that you still really wanted to be in music and you're continuing in that tradition I would be surprised that you didn't but you said your parents were uh, by you said you know this is based on you know research that I've done and interviews that you have gone and you know that stuff so I I heard that your parents were surprised that you know how to sing and that you're a good singer um, so they never put you kind of in singing classes beforehand. They didn't, I know you you played the violin since you were uh, yeah. since a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, okay, well going back to what you said about being put into the family you're put into, I was named after my great grandfather. And what's so interesting is that he was the only person in our family who could sing. And then I came along. So you wanna talk about real like fate and destiny. Yep. So after that, but um, my mom's family, everyone played instruments and When I was a little girl, my cousin was a violinist, and I wanted to do exactly what my cousin did, so I said, I'm going to play the violin. So when I was four years old, I started, and I didn't love the violin, to be honest with you. I think I was relatively good at it, but I just didn't really enjoy it, and I enjoyed singing, but no one in my family could sing, so no one would have thought, oh, she can sing. So when I did summer camp as a kid, and we did a musical, we did Grease, and I got to sing the song, Freddie My Love, because I played Marty, and my parents were like, oh, wait, no, she can sing. Like, she can really sing, and then it took, some convincing. Actually, I'll tell you what really convinced them to let me take singing lessons was um, I needed a new violin teacher. So my mom found one and I had a practice like a getting to know you lesson. And after the lesson, she sat down with my mom and said, I will teach her if you want, because she's good, but she doesn't want to be here. Like, this is not something she wants to be doing. And I don't want you to feel like you are wasting your money by putting her into something she doesn't want. So that woman... Wish I remembered her name because she really put me on the path I'm on now by being so honest with my mom, and that's when I started voice lessons
0: that's very cool. How old were you at that point?
1: Okay, I think because I started voice lessons in the fall of my seventh grade year of school, so I was twelve then, so I think this was like the spring I was maybe about eleven um right. in that range
0: very cool that's really cool. so your grandfather my my grandmother on my mom's side, she had a, uh, operatic voice and my mom, uh, did not get it. And my mom was hoping that, you know, the next generation gets it. Uh, my brother and I did not get it. My voice, uh, I have a pretty good range, but it's like, you know, Swiss cheese. There are a lot of holes all throughout it. So, uh, my daughter, I was hoping that, you know, my, my kids would pick it up and my daughter, when she kind of when she was growing up, she's 16, uh, as I mentioned. When she was growing up, um, initially we didn't think that uh, she had, you know, she could sing, but she wasn't that good. And then she started uh, doing a lot of vocal uh, lessons, and now at this point she can sing. So she has something, and I love kind of you know how you're listening to people, and they may have you know incredible skill, but you don't love the tone and it just doesn't sound great so she's getting to a point where i love the tone and her vibrato is starting to come through and she's doing all sorts of things like she's doing musical theater and maybe i don't know but maybe there's something <laughs> there's something to it so it skipped a couple of generations and finally you know my daughter got some of it and then my son i think is is starting to get uh, to the uh, as well he tried singing, you know, of course he, you know, he saw Freddie Mercury um, and then he wanted to sing uh, that uh, too. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know if you want to start with that buddy, but uh, he did, he did a decent job. So I think we're going to get him into vocals as well and then see what happens.
1: Oh, nice. That's awesome.
0: By the way, my daughter, you know, violin is her, uh, is her you know instrument. She loves the violin. She's been oh. playing it since somewhere in the middle school uh uh and then uh, all throughout so you know she's in whatever the top level orchestra and she's in choir so you know if i let her do what she wants to do she would just go into musical theater and only pursue that which is not going to happen in terms of you know forty thousand dollars a year uh for a bachelor's of uh, of arts no offense to anybody who's done that i'm just not gonna pay for it Valid. very valid Being an actor, I see that you don't need that in order to succeed in uh, as an actor. You either uh, have to have talent, and then you need to take classes, and you need to work on it, and then you can you know, make it or not make it. Just because you go through a four-year you know, program, then do conservatory, does not mean that you're going to be successful as an actor. That just means that you're going to be stuck with a lot of debt that you have to pay. So, yeah.
1: Definitely didn't do that either. I have a degree. Well, I was already working, so I was working, but um I have a degree in art history actually, which mm-hmm. in and of itself isn't necessarily much better. It still requires a lot more study. But at the same mm-hmm. time, what I loved about that is when I was in school, in college in particular, I was hanging out with people who had no idea what was going on in entertainment. And that's a really good thing. Like to have mm-hmm. friends who might see a movie that's popular or like watch the Oscars or the Emmys, but like it wasn't the center of their lives. And it gave me so much perspective. So yeah, I would recommend that people who want to go into performing still make a point of studying other things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You brought up a very interesting point because again, growing up around people who are in the industry, that, that kind of formed your experience. At what point, you just mentioned, you know, college, but at what point did it start to expand that there are things outside of it and it's not in the center of the universe?
1: Well, I think one of the cool things about growing up in LA is that a lot of my friends' parents weren't in entertainment. Even those who had like entertainment adjacent jobs, like doctors who might have a celebrity patient or like lawyers who might have one fancy client, like still were regular people who still came home at the end of the day, paid the bills, mm-hmm. made dinner hung out with their families. So it was more surprising to me to learn that most people think that LA is just entertainment. Like that was more shocking actually. So for me, it was never really about learning that, it was more about learning how to manage getting too into a world where everyone thinks that's all that there is. and. I think i managed that again by being very fortunate i grew up here so i have my family here and i have people i grew up with here and places i've gone to my whole life if they still exist after this pandemic and things like that so yeah it, it was less of a learning that and more of a realizing that people don't see it that way
0: yeah just like when i came to the united states you know people thought that uh you know the former soviet union is basically siberia and we were riding bears uh you know on way to work um, but I, I literally heard that from uh, from a few of the kids. Uh, oh, in the kids. Yeah, uh, it's the the hilarious thing to me was, you know, I, I came in uh, starting freshman year in high school. Right. So I just got done studying history and World War Two uh, when I was in Ukraine. So you the facts are laid out you kind of know i know you know my uh, my grandparents uh went through the war so you know and you have that background then i come here and the first thing freshman year in high school we're learning about world war ii i'm thinking okay great i don't know english uh and i still have a lot of things to learn but at least i know the material and the material is completely different the material basically says united states won the war uh and i'm like what where are you coming with this and, and just i had to really understand that history is written from everybody's uh, perspectives and depending on where you are and depending on who won they are going to uh, write it in the way that they choose to and the truth is kind of encompassing all of those points and usually somewhere in the middle but that part was shocking the part that were you know kids were thinking that everything was siberia everything was cold and we had bears as pets That was a little weird. And um, the last part is, you know, I started in Detroit. So we came to Detroit first before moving to Chicago. Now I have lots of family still in Detroit and Michigan. I like it. And anytime you talk to an outsider, they think Detroit is nothing but poverty and crime. And you're like, that's not where I, you know, kind of grew up and family I have, so. No, my My
1: grandmother is from Detroit. My grandmother was born in Detroit. And we still have a lot of family there. So I grew up going to Michigan and they don't live. I mean, when I say I'm going to Detroit, people are like, ooh, be careful. I'm like, mm, "I know, don't like like, my cousins drove me through there once cause I was curious, but they yeah. live in the suburbs and you would never know where they are that they are living in Detroit.
0: <laughs> right, yeah, cause it's, you know, West Bloomfield, you know, Farmington Hills. It's, you know, this, this is what I'm used to. That is a suburb like other suburbs. They're very pretty. They're nice and green and lush and uh, people are not killing each other. So oh, uh,
1: They are so beautiful. And like my cousins live all over in those suburbs, but also I have one set of cousins in Birmingham. I don't know if you've been to Birmingham or
0: not. Yeah, very, very pretty. I
1: adore Birmingham and I'm telling film producers, if they're watching, you can make any little suburban movie in Birmingham and it will look perfect. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Birmingham is cool. And then again, I mean there there have been films that are shot in that area that show just how affluent and pretty it is, like uh Gross Point Blank, which oh, yeah. I love. You know, that's that's Detroit people, okay? That's a part of Detroit the way that you're perceiving it. So anyway, uh off of my you know Michigan soapbox. Um so you've been doing again like all spectrum of things, right? You sing you have your own show, you're launching another series, you've produced and starred in uh, in kind of a project. Do you like kind of having the full gamut because it allows your creativity to play or is there a particular path that you're following and these are just steps that are leading to it?
1: I think it's a bit of both um, because I can't imagine not doing a little bit of everything. I look at People who, I mean, like especially in comedy, which is where I tend to live, people do a little bit of everything. They write and they produce and they act and they direct. And directing is probably the one that I'm like the most nervous about. But for the most part, I love performing and I love creating and I love producing. So I do a little bit of everything out of necessity sometimes, but also because I enjoy doing it all. And I think when I'm doing one specific job, another one might seem a little more attractive, you know, when I'm spending hours and hours and hours casting something for example I'm, i don't see myself being a casting director that that's definitely not where i'm going but um i just enjoy creating things that entertain people and i feel like as a creator it's my responsibility at this point to be as hands-on as possible
0: it is and again all, all great directors are great editors uh, so you can do one without understanding the processes of the other so i think all of that is going to be helpful to you down the road anyway mm-hmm. so but where does acting kind of fit into that? uh, Where do you see, uh, from an acting perspective, yourself and your path?
1: Well, I've always dreamed of having my own sitcom. Um, Ever since I was a kid, I wanted to have my own sitcom. And I love, I mean, growing up, I really admired Julia Louis-Dreyfus in particular. Um, As I've gotten older, I've branched out beyond just comedy. I would say, right now, I've been talking a lot in interviews about um, Julietta Margulies and how I feel like she's a great inspiration for my career. my two fellow curly-haired brunettes, um, Julia and Juliana, but um, also Christine Baranski is another one. She has transitioned between comedy and drama so seamlessly. And she's a little more of an obscure name, but Maggie Siff, if you're familiar with the show Billions.
0: Absolutely. yeah, Yeah, well, I'm and Billions, uh, you know, it's it's one of my favorite shows of uh, all time. She's there.
1: Well, she's on Billions. She has a very diverse career. She was on Mad Men prior to that. Um, and yeah. in the middle there, she was on Sense of Anarchy. So she has done, a lot of television and i just think these are incredible women i aspire to have that kind of career but i love acting i didn't know i had any acting talent until i was 13 and i did summer camp and i got a really big role in a show and my parents again were like wow she's not just a singer she's an actress and then when i was 14 my dad had a friend who was teaching an acting class and my dad took me along just to see what it was like and he said we're going to give you something to do and i was freaked out because i had never been in an acting class with like adults and real actors before. So he gives me an improv exercise. Where basically he gave everyone a magazine clipping that they were all like vintage, and we had to act out the character in the clipping. And mine was like a pet psychic of some sort from Boston. The paper was from Boston, so with no training of any kind, I get up there and I do this like Boston accent, and I play this pet psychic, and people are on the floor laughing. And my dad works in the industry, so he was like, you're not allowed to get an agent until you're 18, no professional work on my watch, my kid's not gonna be an actor, if I can say anything about it. Yeah. We left there, coach friend called him and said, why is your kid not acting? Like, like why are you stopping this? And that's how I got my first agent, and how I started performing and working as an actress. So being in front of people and making them laugh has always been something I've wanted to do, but now I've, I've expanded that to, I wanna make them laugh, but I really just wanna make people feel. I think there's something to be said for giving people something to feel whether that's good or bad. I tend to prefer to make them feel somewhat good, but I also appreciate that sometimes you got to make them feel, tap into emotions that are sensitive and help them come out of them from a, you know, through an entertainment perspective instead of just through living experiences.
0: Yeah. Um, Especially now, you know, with the pandemic and everything that we've been dealing with, uh, getting people to feel something else and having an opportunity to kind of Take a breather from uh, from the dreary things that we've been experiencing is is a really really helpful thing. So yeah, absolutely. But going back to that, you know, pet uh, pet psychic, that would be a really fun SNL uh, skit. So if you're if you're going to be auditioning for SNL, you know, maybe you do that one.
1: Yeah, you know, I did it that one time. I wish I had saved the clipping, but it wasn't mine to save. And um, my dad was like in awe because my dad sort of figured, okay, she's cute, she sings, whatever. I yeah. 14 and for him walking away from that experience, he was like, I did not expect that to come out of my kid. Like I was not, that was not something I was prepared for. And i I think I really stumped him that day.
0: Very cool. Okay, so we have two out of the three. We, is there a dancing to make you the triple thread? Have you gone that path?
1: Well, I would be what you would, I guess in theater calling an actor, singer, mover. Um, my parents yeah. never really got into the dance class thing because it was always about being a musician, being an orchestra, and like even me not wanting to play the violin anymore was a huge uphill battle. So dance was not gonna happen. But I will tell you, I have the ability to move and pick up choreography. I just don't have the like years and years and years of training.
0: That's fine. And again, it's it's all really kind of the innate ability. Uh, Everything else you can train. Uh, Some people just don't have it. It doesn't matter how much training you can have. If you have it, then the rest is just uh, details. Okay, got it. So a triple thread, who's also a producer, who's you know doing all sorts of things. I like it. I think we we have something to work with here. Woo <laughs> yeah, Perfect. So uh, tell me about uh, what's coming up next because you know we just uh, got uh, notification that um, uh, pilot season is, uh, yeah. is something that we're playing with. So that's upcoming. I think in uh, mid February or
1: right. So pilot yeah. season you're getting the feel, like first scoop on this because it just went out today. Pilot season is a series of five pilots that I wrote that I'm directing. I'm producing mm-hmm. the series and I'm appearing in two of them. And it's five pilots that are all comedic. We have everything from multicam to dramedy and they're all very different stories. One of them is like a straight up satirical family sitcom. And one of them is a mother daughter kind of intimate, darker comedy. So we've got a little bit of everything for everyone. And I'm really excited about the two I'm appearing in, which are gonna be on March 19th and 16th. One is called The Nuclear Option, and it's about a wealthy family on the brink of losing everything, but they have to band together to not lose it. So that's an ensemble piece that I love. And the second one is called Fame Adjacent. That's on the 16th. Um, and that's the mother-daughter dramedy. I keep likening it to Gilmore Girls and Better Things because it's a very close mother-daughter. Both are actresses. The mother's never really had that big break in her career. And her daughter, about to become a series regular on a tv show so it's the balance of their relationship their career relationship and that one those two are my favorites but they're all great shows we filmed last night the first episode and that airs on february 16th so we're we're in full-on production mode here
0: very cool i is there are you pitching any of these to actually become a potential uh, you know series and uh, are you having conversations with folks or waiting to see how they received?
1: No, I mean, that's kind of where we're heading and I've been working on putting all of that together. But I think what's great about these readings is that they provide a tangible example of what the show could actually feel like. Now, obviously, we're over Zoom, so we don't have the luxury of having sets and the interactions between people. But they do give a really strong sense of what the concept looks like. And I think that's going to be fun for audiences.
0: Yeah, it's much better than the pitch book. And here you actually see it. And... um...
1: You know, we got a little bit of everything. And that way people can pick and choose if you'd rather read than watch, read. If you'd rather watch than read, watch. If you like to do everything, I got everything for you.
0: Perfect. So next, uh, Stop Victoria Gordon signs a multi-year deal with Netflix or Amazon. Both should be bidding on it. Let's start the bidding off right now.
1: I'm gonna throw one more bidder in, HBO Max. If you are looking for sitcoms, come talk to me. Get in with a young talent now. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, i think they should uh listen you know uh what uh now i'm gonna put her name um phoebe
1: waller bridge
0: thank you that's it yeah what what she did i mean i i love fleabag it's it's absolutely amazing and uh mm-hmm. when when she kind of you know put that together it's again it's it's doing things and creating your own projects and getting yourself out there and then if you actually have the talent and the skill to do it that opens doors so yeah all of these things that you're doing are awesome
1: and i'll give a shout out to my hometown girl pamela adlon um who did that with better things and better things is really Mm -hmm. impressive that is for those who've never seen it i highly recommend better things it's about an actress with three daughters it's pretty much autobiographical of pamela adlon Mm -hmm. and It's a great exercise in writing and directing and really hand-making your own program. So I very Mm -hmm. much admire her and I've been campaigning. We went to the same high school. So I've been campaigning to get her into the Hall of Fame for a while now.
0: Got it. Are are you in the Hall of Fame of your high school yet?
1: No, my high school Hall of Fame is kind of interesting because they have this, I went to Beverly Hills High School. So it's not exactly like they have a shortage of notable alums to put in the Hall of Fame. Not to mention Mm -hmm. the notable dropouts who don't qualify. Sure. We have some Nobel Prize winners who've gotten in in recent years. We have Betty White in our Hall of Fame. We have some really incredible names, and I hope to be on that wall someday. But I hope Pamela's right there next to me.
0: Very cool. Um, actually, going going back to that, right? So the whole high school experience is just a weird experience to begin with, uh, oh, yeah. being around being around a lot of uh, a lot of different kids. And this is this is. I'm trying not to be stereotypical, but Within the industry, right? So some of the kids, and I think let's actually take entertainment out of it, but you know some of the kids uh, that we see in high school, you know, at, the, at my daughter's high school, um, their parents come for money, they come for money. There is a specific attitude that comes with it, and there is a misunderstanding of what the reality of other people's are. So you know, Beverly Hills High School was that a kind of a widespread of different types of experiences, or it was a lot of people who do well and you know there are things that come along with that
1: well i'm going to start by saying this is my experience at beverly because i know that sure. everyone has had different experiences and i would hate to speak for anyone else but from my situation i went there at a very interesting time because i was part of the last group of beverly high students who had permit students on assignment so permits were given for a very long period of time to students from L.A.USD to come into beverly hills schools so they had a mix of programs they had achievement-based programs they had lotteries we had a very diverse student body they no longer give out those permits so it's very different now but when i was there we had a very wide mix of students from a lot of backgrounds and there were definitely people from very affluent families but there were also people who came from very underprivileged backgrounds i know that was not always the case i know i've heard stories in the 80s about how the parking lot was just like you know mercedes next to mercedes next to Mercedes. And that to an extent that's probably true again, given that we no longer give out those permits, which I think is very unfortunate. But when I was there, I felt like there was a really wide mix of experiences. And I think our student body has consistently been very charitable and very supportive of the Los Angeles community at large. It's not an isolated bubble. Beverly Hills, in fact, is not all swimming pools and movie stars, um, to quote one of my favorite shows. But, There is a large percentage of our community that rents, and the majority of the renters have children that they send to Beverly Hills schools. And people in Beverly Hills who are under the poverty line are at a huge disadvantage over in other communities, over people in the same situation in other communities, because Beverly Hills, the the, the impoverished of Beverly Hills do not get much attention. And it's actually something I've been studying a lot recently because I realized that the median income in this community is so skewed. We have such high earners alongside very Mm -hmm. poor people and those Mm -hmm. people need our attention as well. So we need to make sure that the image of Beverly Hills doesn't get in the way of compassion and helping others in our community who are in need.
0: Victoria, there is a show, The Poor of Beverly Hills. Uh,
1: There there is, and I actually think more than like a show, I would love to do like a documentary or something to really explore their situation because I think it's unfortunate that by saying you live in Beverly Hills, people automatically assume there's a ton of money, you Mm -hmm. must have a house and a big pool like you know people live in some very small apartments and mm-hmm. people are homeless we have a large homeless population in this city and mm-hmm. we need to have the resources for those people too
0: mm-hmm. no that's uh keep doing it and again you as a filmmaker you as a producer it just that's right in line with uh with kind of things that you care about doing so that's very cool yeah um people's perceptions are always skewed we you know living in a suburb of uh of, uh, of chicago the suburb is, you know, multicultural, there are, uh, you know, there's renters, there is, there are houses that are old houses that don't cost a lot. So there's, you know, kind of lower, uh, lower middle class, middle class, upper middle class, and there's upper class. And it's all kind of in this, you know, large suburb that I live in. But there is a part of the, of the suburb that is around a golf course, and they kind of built it around the golf course. And it still has renters and it still has townhouses and it still has single houses. But when you mention that you're from there, people automatically think that you're living in a million dollar house, which is just not true. You know, uh, I live, we have a nice house. It's certainly nowhere close to it. But when you mention you're in Greg's landing, people are like, Oh, you're rich. Not necessarily. Right. So it's, it's, it's always perceptions uh, of people without enough information to, uh, to understand what's going on. Absolutely miracle. So last uh, things as we're, as we're kind of wrapping things up. So what drives you? I know you've mentioned the people who inspire you. I know the areas that you're focusing on, but if you had to kind of pinpoint and saying, this is the driving force be you know behind me, what would that be?
1: That's a good question. I think a big part of the driving force behind me doing what I do is that I feel like like we were talking earlier about how people are put into the families that they're in for a reason or that they're given sort of the identities that they have for a reason. I really think that one of my reasons for existing, if you will, is Mm. to give people things to talk about and feel, you know, to get people thinking about their experiences, Mm. their emotions, other experiences. I think we all have a purpose like that. And I really believe that I have a unique opportunity to use my voice to help other people process emotions, entertain them, make them laugh, maybe make them cry a little. And I just wanna do that. I wanna tell stories that inspire people in some way, whether it's to go write their own story or to call someone they haven't spoken to in a long time or just to sit down and mindlessly laugh for half an hour. I mean, I am happy to inspire them in any way possible. I think we have so much negativity. Like I know that sounds like a cliche, but really negativity is everywhere. And I'd rather be a force for positivity. And the best way I can do that Mm -hmm. is through storytelling.
0: No, that's, that's great. Um, I asked this last question of, uh, of, you know, people kind of at the tail end of their life. Um, you know, I've, I've had legends on, like Ed Asner, you know, <clears throat> June Squibb. I, I've had these folks on who have had remarkable lives and remarkable careers, and I asked them how they want to be remembered. But I think it's just as an important question to ask somebody who is young, who is... Uh, trying to figure out what it is that they want to do in their life and what to achieve so how would you want to be remembered when it's all said in done?
1: wow that is a cheap question um and i would love to hear Ed asner's answer to that he is a great guy i worked with him a few times and mm-hmm. love him but um i think i want to be remembered as someone who entertained people i want people to look back and think wow you know she was entertaining But also, I hope that those who know me, I mean, it's hard to ask the world to know something like this, but I hope that those who know me remember me as a good person and a force for positivity in their lives. I want to be positive to the people that I touch on a personal level. And, you know, it's funny you'd ask this. I recently, as we've been discussing genealogy a little bit, um, I recently discovered that I had relatives who perished in the Holocaust. I had never seen that before. I didn't know about these people. I didn't know they existed. And when I discovered them... I discovered their daughter, who was 26 when she was taken to an extermination camp and killed on arrival, which that's dark. I'm sorry, but it's true. And what shocked me is that I had just turned 27. So here's this girl who's my age. And at the time that she died, she and my grandfather were born in the same year. So they were the same age. And I just thought, oh my God, this is someone who lived 26 yeah. years. I mean, she did things, she experienced things. I'm basically that age. And I I only discovered her name today. Who's remembering her? So it's a deep question. And I really hope that someday I can be more than just a footnote in some relative's family tree and that I can touch them in a way that they will remember for a long time. And I hope that that's true of really everyone I love.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, it's, it's it's an interesting thing, and uh, you'll discover this as you know as you're getting older. There'll be more and more of those realizations of, oh, you know, I am this age, and I know somebody who's this age who you know just perished. You know, what what does that how does that change you know what I'm doing and what I should be uh, working on? It, as we go through life, we kind of make these discoveries that, in my view, are as painful as they are. They they can be a positive force for growth, and they can be these markers and milestones in life that allow us to re, uh, you know, refocus ourselves or rededicate to a particular purpose. And it's it's an interesting thing. But yeah, it's uh, the Holocaust uh, was. I I can't find a word that's that's bad enough to use for it. But I I still cannot to this day watch Schindler's List. Oh
1: um, no. Absolutely not. Um, I don't do any of that, I don't, but I do love, um, if it's come to Chicago, I can't say, I do love the Wilson Lane stories. You know, Mona Golabek, the pianist, who did her show, The pianist, pianist of Wilson Lane, and she wrote a book, The Children of Wilson Lane, and she's really told her mother's story. She's a pianist, her mother was a pianist who left on the transport. and she tells her mother's story in a really beautiful way through music. So if you get a chance to see that at some point, I highly recommend that show.
0: Yeah, I'll 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 try to check it out. Thank you. Bye. Well, we um, it's it's good to leave it on introspective note uh, because I think hopefully we'll make people uh, make their own kind of conclusions and uh, maybe dive into some things they you know should be looking into. So thank you, Victoria. It's it's been such a pleasure getting to know you. Best of luck with everything. I am you know keeping my fingers crossed that you know the three networks or somebody else uh, look seriously at your new shows and uh, we can start seeing more of them.
1: Thanks and good luck to your kids with their singing and acting too.
0: (laughs) Thank you, thank you, I appreciate that very much. And thanks to everybody for tuning in to another episode of The Love of Acting. I know you love it as much as we do and that's why we continue doing this for you.